0: This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank.
1: Hello, this is Paul Avell, CFO of Proofpoint, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast.
0: This is episode number 365.
1: got a phone call from a senior recruiter here in town who I know quite well. And she said, I have the perfect company for you. And I said, I'm not interested. I want to take some time off. And she said, no, 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 it's the perfect company. I said, okay, well, what company is it? She says, Donuts. And then I said, I'm really not interested. I was picturing, you know, a food service company making donuts. I'm I'm a fairly healthy guy. I like to exercise. I'm I'm not really a big donut eater. And uh, anyway, she goes, no, 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 it's a tech company. And so then I said, I'm really, really not interested because I pictured some sort of technology to, you know, either... Back office management of donut shops or technology to cut the donuts better or faster.
0: From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to David Rostoff, CFO of Donuts, Inc., a technology company currently operating at a million dollars in revenue per employee. How do you like them donuts? We speak to David right after these words from our sponsor. finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid sized organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to David Rostoff, CFO of Donuts, Inc., a $100 million company based in Kirkland, Washington. David,
1: welcome. Thank you, Jack. It's great to be here.
0: So, David, if you wouldn't mind, I know you've had a number of CFO tours of duty, so we were looking forward to this uh, opportunity. Uh, But take us back in time and share with us what you feel were the experiences that really helped prepare you or a CFO
1: role? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, my first job out of college, I worked for Goldman Sachs in New York as an analyst, and um, I learned a couple really valuable things there that, that I actually used it still in my career every day, basically. One was just the, the importance of um, hard work and, and um, getting the job done. The other was uh, attention to detail, and the third was a pretty deep understanding of how to analyze companies and how to think about businesses and how to think about um, where they were going and, and whether they were on track. And, uh, you know, it's many years since I did that, and, and I, I still use those skills, you know, today. In terms of uh, other things, I, I went to business school at the University of Chicago. I, I was um, I was struck when I was in banking that I actually didn't want to be a banker for the long term. I wanted to be involved in in the making of products or the making of services. I was especially interested in the technology sector, and I had the good fortune of moving out to Seattle and taking on a number of different technology roles. I, I ended up becoming CFO at a pretty young age. My first CFO role was for an international company for uh, a cellular telephone international business. and. Um, so I, I had to actually learn a lot about being a CFO kind of on the job as opposed to uh, wh- whereas I think many other folks kind of move up through the organization and, and learn a lot of the skills that they need over the course of many years. I had to learn it mostly on the job. So that, that made it interesting, made it exciting, made it a lot a lot of opportunity to to make mistakes and, and, and learn from those mistakes. David, you've
0: worked for uh, so many interesting companies, one of which you were with um, – Right at that moment in time, known as the, uh, the dot com implosion, I'm wondering uh, what that experience was like and perhaps what lessons were learned.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, in a way, it was, I would like to call it the best of times and the worst of times. So, from a career standpoint, during a, a relatively short period of time while I was involved in that early phase of the uh, internet, and in particular, I was involved with e commerce in, in its infancy. Um, Being here in Seattle and being close to Amazon, I was involved with a company Amazon made a big investment in called Drugstore.com. And really the the pace of change and the pace of innovation and, and the types of transactions we did were just an incredible opportunity to learn and grow my skills and my career. And, and, and really, we, we did some things that were, you know, r- really unique and cutting edge at the time in terms of how, how we built the business and how we thought about the website, how we thought about consumer interaction. Today, many of those things are fairly standard in, in uh, internet experience, but back then that was quite novel. And so it was a great opportunity to learn. You know, we hired a lot of people. Unfortunately, when, when the when the, the sort of the economy and and the, the whole internet sector took a significant correction there was a lot of change we had to make so i went from being someone who was helping support growth to helping support um you know kind of right sizing a business and and again it was a, it was an interesting times it was challenging times but 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 learned a lot and, and got to do a lot of things and that, that, that i think continue to be you know skills that i utilize today
0: for those who uh, might not have read the business pages uh, back then during that early dot com era would you uh, maybe illustrate for us uh, the extremes that you saw up close? And by that, uh, I, I think extremes are really what uh, defined that era where a business could be valued uh, at this much one week and the following week lose lose so much of its value. What, what would you share with us about what you witnessed firsthand?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I started um – in uh early 1999 at drugstore.com, and we we were uh we had just gone commercial and our first quarter uh commercial operations we were doing a couple million dollars in revenue and we went public on on that run rate with, with significant growth albeit on small numbers and and within you know a couple hours of being public our company was worth a few billion dollars in market cap And and so you kind of went from a a company that didn't exist, uh, you know, one to two years before, to a company that was public with a multi-billion-dollar market cap, and then um, over that period of time, the the market cap increased some—not a crazy amount from there, because that was already a plenty high uh, level—and then came back down dramatically. Now, Now the entire sort of sector, the tech sector, the telecommunications sector, during that time around 2000, around 2000. Uh, the nasdaq had a pretty massive correction and so so we, we, you know we 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 were part of that same trajectory if you will and 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 really what um what what it's taught me or what what is is just to 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 always be more thoughtful going into growth phases to make sure that you have you know really solid business foundations before you get too far ahead of yourself otherwise you know you're left as 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 you were asking jack about these sort of extremes where where you kind of end up going up too much or down too much. And I think it's much easier to build than, than to uh, have to, have to you know, take away.
0: Now, David, you had by this time served as a finance leader in several different high-tech organizations. What is it when Donuts, Inc. called that led you to say yes?
1: Yeah, you know, it's actually kind of a, a little bit of a funny story that, that I'm happy to share. I was... Um, I was I was transitioning out of a prior role and wanting to take some time off to to enjoy life a little more, and I got a phone call from a senior recruiter here in town who I know quite well, and she said, I have the perfect company for you, and I said, I'm not interested. I want to take some time off, and she said, no, 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 it's the perfect company. I said, okay, well, what company is it? And she says, Donuts, and then I said, I'm really not interested. I was picturing, you know, a food service company making donuts. I'm, I'm a fairly healthy guy. I like to exercise, so I'm, I'm not really a big donut eater and uh, anyway she goes no no no, it's a tech company and so then I said I'm really really not interested because I pictured some sort of technology to you know either back office management of donut shops or technology to cut the donuts better or faster and she goes no it's actually a tech company they're doing about a million dollars of revenue per employee they have these amazing margins they're selling these things called domain names these new domains First of all, I thought she was—I um, thought it was a typo on the uh, kind of revenue per employee because I thought that that that, that can't be—and um, and then she described the margins and and so that was probably a three-minute dis- description that, that she, she gave me and I said, okay, I'm interested. <laughs> and and really, to answer your question, the, th- this is an amazing business. It was one I wasn't particularly familiar with, even though I'm in Seattle and even though it was started here and even though you know Seattle is a technology hub. Basically, the the founders of our company had gone out and 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 actively and 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 early uh, secured the rights to uh, the largest number of new domain names that were out there. So you know how there's .com and .net. Well, they secured a lot of the newer names, things like .doctor, .cruises, .mortgage, .life, .live, and I could go on. .taxi, etc. And 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 it, it's just an amazing business where we sell through um, whole, uh, retailers, so people like GoDaddy, highly uh, profitable, high-margin business. And 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 the business had gone from essentially zero to a really significant size, despite the fact that awareness in our products was was very limited. So so my 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 sort of most first thoughts on this it was, wow if If we did nothing else but changed awareness just a little bit, this would be go from a fabulous business to you know an incredible business and, and that that got me really excited and then I had the opportunity to meet the founders and the team and the board and I thought this is a company that's really unique, unique in its space, unique in seattle and and is really on um, onto something here that that most people don't even know about
0: so can you tell us uh, when you arrive what is the you know we want to know about the type of job you want to create for yourself, and we want to understand if you structured your team a little differently given the nature of this business? Uh, what would you share with us?
1: Yeah, sure, all good questions. I mean I always think the main job of a CFO is to uh, first of all understand at at a deep level what the strategy of the company is and wh- where the company's going and what they're trying to accomplish. And really, what's the economic model or the business model of the company, and how does that work? And and really understand at a deeper level than just the philosophy around it. And so I, you know, the, the main thing I always try to do, and I certainly tried to do this at Donuts, was to try to understand that, try to understand where the CEO wanted to take the company, where the board wanted to take the company, and then determine how I could be, you know, the best partner possible to support those efforts, um, and and so that that was kind of you know my primary focus is kind of where is this company going and, and what's needed both by way of financial operational support and also uh, capital structure you know what, what kind of uh, debt and equity structure do we need do we have that and 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 if not how do we go about doing that and um, and so that that was really my I would say my primary focus the, the other focus was it was clear that the company was on a growth trajectory and so. I had to make sure that we had the um the back office team and the financial resources to support that growth. And I was fortunate in coming into the donuts role that that I inherited a really strong and effective team. A small team, but 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 a very um productive and efficient team that, that was doing great work. And so so my main area of focus was on how I uh continued to support that growth. I, I should add that as part of uh, we did an acquisition um Sort of summer of last year, we, we purchased a, a small public company called Rightside and took them private. As a result of that transaction, we ended up doubling the size of our company. So we went from, you know, overnight from from one size to, a, to two times bigger. And, and obviously that'll put a strain on, on any kind of uh, organization and, and, of course, puts a strain on a financial organization. But really, my focus there was making sure that that we had the resources and the and and the systems and processes to be able to support that that essentially overnight transition of our business.
0: Were they in a similar business, or was it uh, more about the skills that the people have?
1: Well, Rightside was very much in the same business as we were in. Very complementary set of assets, complementary set of employees, in in the sense that. They had you know some skills where where, where we were uh, where we wanted to add and, and and vice versa so so from that perspective you know it was a, it was a it was a it was a an acquisition that made a lot of sense in terms of the financial organization we we, we also decided that as part of the the merger we would try and you know essentially uh make sure that we were high, we, we were being highly efficient post the merger so so, again, using a team and, and the team we had and building on that team it was part of, the, part, part of the focus around this acquisition.
0: Now, I think I understand what the product is. Uh, I, I think we all understand. But at the same time, um, i I'm curious about how you target your customers. Is it the, the CMOs that you're, you're looking to do business with? Is it, where do you want to get mind share within the organization? yeah
1: well our product is um you know is domain names right and and really it's uh it's the opportunity for someone to brand their their product or service or add to their branding it's also an opportunity to have a great address so obviously a shorter domain name is easier to find than a longer domain name one that's much more specific to what you do is is always going to be more attractive than one that's uh you, you know how sometimes in Gmail you'll see someone they'll have their like their whole name and then 2074 and and dot com you know or dot gmail or something. So what we offer is is, is really high quality names and, and 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 tend to be very specific. Uh, one of the things that gets us really excited about our products is the fact that people. Uh, we see more and more companies and organizations using more than one domain name. So a great example of that is Apple, is obviously apple.com, but on the news front, they use apple.news. CBS, the television company, uses cbs.live for a lot of their production. So so back to your question about who buys our products, the the short answer is it's anyone who's interested in, in some form of a domain name. In the SMB world, it would be Whoever that person is that's in charge of the sort of the marketing and the branding of their company. In a large organization, there's probably people that manage the domain name strategy for the company. My guess is it's probably within the CMO organization, but but doesn't have to be. And, um, you know, the the purchase of a domain name isn't a very expensive purchase. So one of the great things about our business is we're we're selling uh, thousands and thousands of these every day. Um, and 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 so it's it's not a hard decision to make. It's not one that requires uh, a really senior uh, person. And in particular, one of the areas that we focus a lot on in terms of uh, getting the word out about our products is is people, the digital marketers at the companies, at the agencies, because we we think they're they're influencers of those decisions. And of course, we want them to be much more aware of of the existence of these products and to be thinking about them.
0: Now can you tell us what, what are the numbers then that you're looking at so you understand how the company's performing day to day? What are those those numbers sure. that you look at?
1: No. Sure. I think there's three three the three most important numbers that I'm always focused on um, because I think it really speaks to the health of the business and, and, and where the business is going and, and kind of our trajectory. One is uh the number of new what we call registrations th- th- that we get. I look at that daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera, uh, and that's the number of new names that we sell on each each day. So that would be a, a new name that's purchased by by somebody. Um, the, and, and then I also look at the average selling price for those domain names. We're a wholesaler in the process, so we track very closely our, our average selling price. Of course, when you go to somewhere like uh, a GoDaddy, they'll, they'll – have their own retail price for that product, but but we're interested in in, in primarily in, in what our average selling prices are, and then the third area is, is renewal renewals renewal rates renewal behavior because that really speaks to the heart of you know are are our end users using our products are they. Um, continuing to see value there. And, and, and that's a really important metric for us as well. It kind of really speaks to the health of our business. And and, 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 and and one of the great things as a CFO, which I love, is it's a recurring revenue stream. So, you know, so you really want to keep an eye on that.
0: Would we be surprised by the uh, average number of domain names that a small medium-sized company would own today?
1: Well, the short answer is around uh, – yeah – around the world, you're looking at tens of millions of of domain names um, owned. There's over 300 million domain names that are out there around the world. Many, many of those are bought by uh, small to medium-sized businesses. One of the exciting things about the future for our business and our industry is that when you look at the number of SMBs that still aren't online, especially when you get outside the United States, it's, in some cases, a lot of the data would point to, you know, over 50% of businesses outside the U.S., as an example, uh, aren't necessarily online yet. And, 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 and every day we see more, more, more new businesses being formed. And, again, our use case is both uh, new businesses being formed. Of course, we're excited about those, and we, we want people to pick a domain name. As an example, when a doctor gets started in business, we own .dot doctor, so we'd love to see a, a doctor using .dot doctor instead of something else. A new hospital .dot hospital, etc. Uh, a lawyer, same. We own .dot .dot legal and .dot attorney. So even when you think about businesses, don't just think about uh, ent- entities. Think about um, you know even smaller businesses. You know individuals doing something, and 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 that's an appeal for us. But but as I said. The area that's just as exciting, if not more exciting, for us is the fact that we're seeing behavior around um, people and organizations buying multiple domain names based on their business need. A great example of that is Microsoft uses msft.social for their social handle, and of course, you know they use microsoft.com for some things, and they use um, you know their different uh, names for for different naming conventions. But we, we just love seeing that. We own .social. That's one of our our key domain names, we're obviously really interested in the social um, the, the, the social media category just because it's such a large category and there's so much going on there. So we, we love it when people are using our, our name to promote that. And, and I had mentioned a little bit earlier but Apple.news is another example of that where Apple's using that to promote their news stories.
0: So it's interesting. It seems like the large enterprise companies are the ones that are really legitimizing some of the new variations of these names where traditionally small businesses might be a little more conservative uh, just because, uh, well, they they just they want their customers to understand that they're legitimate. Um, those types of concerns don't exist with large enterprise, or they can be a little more freewheeling maybe?
1: I think all of the above. I mean, they're a great validation of what we do, and so – um, so, we love seeing them use our products and, and and you know our philosophy on this and what we see is that the more people use our products, the more uh, people see our products and the more we, we make additional sales i 'll give you another example that we we have we we have and we sell dot movie and so every time someone goes to the movie theater and sees one of our dot movies, we feel like it 's a great opportunity for them to be thinking about huh there 's dot movie out there what about I want a, a dot computer or a dot church or a dot city. And so e- each of these names that we have and that gets used also, we think, um, encourages others to think about our product. So it's a great form of advertising.
0: Now, you mentioned, uh, even the recruiter uh, pointed out to you early on that uh, uh, revenue per employee is what it is. It, and it caught your attention clearly. Is that sustainable? Is that likely to? It, clearly, it's gonna gonna change over time if your business model or you add different businesses that require more headcount. But how how sustainable for the current business is that?
1: Well, it's it's a great question. Uh, I can tell you that we doubled in size, uh, as I mentioned, with with an acquisition we did and and with internal growth. And we're still operating in that in that range. So, um, so certainly, it feels very sustainable at this point. I, I think. I think the reality is that one of the unique things about our business and our business model is that we sell through uh, the channel. The channel is hundreds of uh, retailers and other specialists who sell domain names directly to end users. And so that has a big impact on, you know, the needs of our business in terms of headcount. I guess the other thing I would add is that we sell digital goods, and and digital goods are great because you you don't have, um, you know, our inventory is is in a computer system and not in a, you know, in in warehouses. Our, Our inventory isn't perishable. Our inventory is reusable and uh the, the restocking fees if you will from a retail concept are, are zero essentially so all those things allow us to be very efficient and i would give credit to people who came before me but they built tremendous automated systems so most most of what we do by way of billing and by way of um you know determining whether we have that domain name available and and how we handle our, the interactions with our our key retail partners is done in a highly automated fashion. So so that helps as well. In other words, a lot of investment early on in making great systems allows us to be uh, very efficient on on the people front.
0: Okay. We always like to ask for a a finance strategic moment or aha moment that you've experienced along the way during your career. It might be at Donuts Inc. It might be any of your other tours of duty. Uh, that you uh, have and again it was just a moment in time where uh, there was a financial insight given your lines of sight into the organization you were able to identify a risk or maybe an opportunity whatever it might have been what comes to mind
1: yeah great question jack Uh, i'll give you an example that came from my time here at donuts one of the beliefs at donuts uh, was that um that pricing and demand was fairly insensitive to price. We, we sell a product that typically retails on average for, call it somewhere between 10 and 30 or $40. And, and the belief was that an SMB was fairly price insensitive. So when they wanted a domain name and found their domain name, they, they, didn't, they, they wouldn't be very affected by price, meaning that whether you sold it for $40 or even $80 or $10, you would see very little difference in the buying behavior because it was the perfect name for them. It was the name that they wanted for their organization or for their purpose, and uh, and so. But I was I was sitting in a meeting one day, and and we were actually we had a pricing consultant talking to us about how we should think about price and how to figure out the optimal price to, uh, you know, to enhance and and to maximize sales and. And I had the the insight jointly with uh, a few of the other folks here at the company that what we should do was really test that and and, and test it actively and and test it a lot and test that hypothesis because it was a hypothesis, but it wasn't ever really tested. And so we decided to put in place a really active um, testing program where where we, we started changing different prices to measure the behavior of our customer buying behavior. And, and we did that since we had multiple registrars, mul- multiple retail partners, and we, had, we have um, over 200 and 200 uh, domain names to, to test. It was kind of a perfect opportunity to do something really unique that, that most businesses don't have the luxury of doing because they have either very few products or very different products, and the testing is hard to measure across categories. And so we put in place uh, uh, essentially, we created a testing program. And uh, did a lot of experimenting, and, and it was actually really—it was—it was a really fascinating, uh, fascinating learning for me and for the company that we were able to create a demand curve, so the kind of thing you would study in in, in economics, is sort of an elasticity demand curve. I had studied that back in college, and and obviously understood it, but had never never truly used it. And here at Donuts, as a result of the work we did, we were able to take our our, our the information and the learnings we had and actually track and map um, the purchasing behavior, the expected purchasing behavior of our customers based on price changes. And it was fairly remarkable, actually, how accurate our demand curve predictions are now in terms of the sensitivity of price to quantity of sales. And, and that was really a – it was, it was fun, it was interesting, it was exciting, and, 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 and the company really rallied around that.
0: Are those uh, the types – of data insights that you would share, uh, broadly, uh, with the workforce or are those just insights for, uh, management?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we try to be very, um, communicative with our team. We have, as, as, as I mentioned, given our efficiency of revenue, we have a, a really great team. They're very knowledgeable about the business. And many of them are, you know, directly involved in these kinds of, uh, things that I just described. So, so we, we, we spend a lot of time, as an organization, trying to share and learn and, and improve what we're doing. And, and, and really, you know, best idea wins is, is the philosophy we always have. So, so we're always looking for a collaborative way to, to share the learnings and, and, and improve on our thinking.
0: Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. David's going to be entering the mentoring round with us next, right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart? year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, so we're going to take you into the uh, the mentoring round now, Dave, where we always like to kick off by asking our guests, what's exciting them these days about finance and business? What is it that uh, is really capturing your attention these days and making it making it fun, if that's the right word?
1: Yeah, there, there's a bunch of things that are on my mind uh, related to uh, what I get excited about and what makes, I think, the CFO job exciting and, and, and interesting for me, and I think for others that are my peers. I would say one of them is just that finance and the financial role continues to play a central role in the organization. So I feel like I'm involved in pretty much all aspects of what the company is doing and uh, have a good sense of the different initiatives the different technologies the different developments the different sales opportunities different marketing programs different acquisition strategies and so I love to be in the middle of the fray and in the middle of all that's going on there that that's uh, that's uh, super interesting to me it, it's challenging it's exciting and uh, I feel like every day I'm you know I'm somehow in the middle and, and and hopefully adding value to that I would say the other thing that's that continues to be the case is the pace of change and the pace of innovation in, in, in today's economy is, is dramatically different and faster than, than, than even 10 years ago. And for sure, you know, 20 years ago, et cetera. And, and, and I'm a, I'm a competitor and, and, uh, an athlete and, uh, someone who's always striving to do better. So I love a fast pace. I love to get up and have, uh, have the opportunity to, to find ways to change and improve an organization and change and improve an industry and to try to be a part of that. So so th- those would be my, my main thoughts on that.
0: Now, when you first stepped in to uh, the CFO office way back when, not at Donuts but one of your earlier tours of duty, was there a piece of information you wish someone had shared with you? Was there something that uh, – uh, some piece of advice you wish you had been given?
1: Uh, Jack, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of things I wish I, you know, I wish I knew that I didn't have to learn the hard way. But in, in particular, the the sort of the two or three things I, I would highlight. One was when I wasn't a CFO. I always thought the CFO job was easy. That that my role was hard and the CFO had it easy. And so it was it was certainly humbling when I finally became a CFO to realize, wow, <laughs> it was way harder than uh, that I understood looking from an outsider's perspective in. And, and more humbling than I thought. And so so that was just kind of, you know, a uh, 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 cold water kind of wake-up call about uh, how, how often the grass looks either greener on the other side or easier on the other side. Um, in terms of the specific skills, I think the the most um, – probably one of the hardest things as you get more senior in your career is learning how to manage people and, 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 and improving on – Managing people, and and to be honest, that's something that isn't really taught in, pretty much anywhere in your growing up experiences and your you know educational experiences, and 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 in the business world, there isn't a lot of mentoring that goes on about how to be a better manager. There's a lot of mentoring about how to improve a certain skill, like to be a better analyst or to be a better marketeer, or to use digital marketing. You know, whatever the topic is, there's all and there's also a lot more classes on the skills themselves. But but management, I think, is one of the most important skills that any business leader has to develop. And, and typically, that's not taught, and it's not even really mentioned. So you, you often learn that, you know, sort of the hard way, on the job and by doing, and sometimes doing it well, and sometimes not doing it as well as you would like.
0: You didn't mention, I'm, I'm curious, you were a, a CEO, in fact, for a number of years as well. And it's always interesting to... You know, you, you stepped back into the CFO role. Uh, it was uh, one familiar to you, certainly. Share some of what you uh, you experienced.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think it was one of those things where I always thought, you know, like I said, I always thought the grass is greener, and it was, and it was always something on my list of, wow, you know, the next step in my career needs to be this. And 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 it was a great experience, and 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 uh, I'm thrilled that I did it. I, I think it just broadened and expanded and improved my skills as a business leader. So when I approach the CFO role now, I'm not typically approaching it just as a sort of a finance person looking in. I understand how a company gets run. I understand how sales forces get built. I understand how the importance of, you know, people and the people dynamics. And so so I I hope and, and I think that because of those different roles in particular, having the opportunity to have been a CFO, CEO for a number of years as well. I'm actually a better CFO and I have better perspective. And I hope that I I'm a better partner to the CEO as a result, because I can either be a better advisor to him or her, or, um, I can take on other responsibilities that that I might've not otherwise had the skills to do. And, and, you know, in, in prior roles.
0: Have you ever stopped and tallied how much, uh, Uh, funding you've raised over the course of your career?
1: I don't, you know, I don't think about it a lot, but yeah, when I do kind of add it up, it's, uh, it's definitely a few billion dollars uh, between um, different debt uh, instruments, equity instruments, uh, M&A type uh, things, uh, an IPO in there as well. So, it's quite a bit of money, but I. I it's funny. I'm always uh, focused on the next, next, uh, next transaction we need to do, and not not thinking about the ones I did in the past. Having said that, I feel like each deal I did taught me something that that I bring to the next deal, and um, you know, while, while no transaction's probably ever exactly the same, there's a there's certainly a a method and and a process that that I try to reuse and try try to expand on.
0: Do you have a a personal habit you believe has contributed to your professional success?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think I'm stubborn. <laughs> I I basically never give up. So I I will keep working or keep iterating until, until I get it right. Um sometimes to a fault probably, but I try to I if something needs to get done or is important, I I, I you know, I take it upon myself to make sure that happens and, and, and to do it. To to do it with excellence. I had I'm fortunate to have parents that were uh, taught me you know the importance of whatever you do just do it do it be the best at it and, and I try to do that every day.
0: Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders?
1: Sure, I have two books that I always talk about with uh, with people at work and also even with my kids. I, I mention it to them on a regular basis. Um, one is Good to Great, a book by um, Collins. And, and, you know, what I loved about that book was just this notion that you, you just keep iterating and, and you keep iterating, and you don't try to hit some sort of home run. You you just try to continue to get better and better, and and, and, and I love that philosophy. And the other one is uh, Who Moved My Cheese, actually. It's a little silly self-help book, but it really speaks to, I think, what, what a lot of people um, struggle with, which is how you deal with change, and, and I feel like, especially in this day and age, and, and especially in a technology, a fast-growing technology company, there's cha- change is just ever-present and, and a norm, not an exception. And so kind of how people, individuals in an organization, deal with change and embrace change I, I think is really critical. And, and, and I think that book is, like I said, it's kind of simple and a little pithy, but it's, uh, it's a kind of a powerful reminder of, of the importance of being uh, willing and able to embrace change
0: Okay. We're up to our, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that my priority is as a CFO, and I think really any CFO, is about supporting growth, and and that's my highest priority. I have to make sure that I and my team and, and really the the capital structure of the company can support growth, and so I'm always thinking out ahead. In terms of how we do that, you know, people often say, like, I, when I'm out with a couple of folks from work or whatever, and we're having a drink, they always make the joke that the CFO always says no to everything, and that CFOs are just about no and about saving money. And I and I and and I always smile and, and laugh with them at that. But but I, I think that that really that's not the role of a CFO. I, I think the role of a CFO is to figure out how to say yes, how to find ways to invest money, not. Save money, but invest money to to grow and and increase the the business and, and the addressable market for the business. And so I'm, I'm, I put most of my time and energy into figuring out how I can help support that.
0: David rostoff thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader.
1: Thanks, Jack. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for your time.